Hello, and welcome to Can't Make This Shit Up, a true crime podcast. I'm Cassie, a true crime enthusiast. And I'm her dad, Mark, a true crime professional, currently a traffic homicide detective in South Florida. And we hope you guys enjoy. things a little differently we're actually in person recording which is more fun but we don't have our normal setup so because we're out of town so if we sound a little different that's why forgive us so this week i thought it would be fun initially my idea was to make one episode out of this but then once i started researching and i realized just how good it was i think this is going to be maybe like three episodes oh wow okay But my idea was, is I wanted, I was talking to Kim about this the other night, my best friend, and I wanted to do one episode on a bunch of cases that were all solved by psychics. Okay. But some of them were, once I started researching, some of them were so good and so long that it couldn't be in like one episode or it would have been three hours. Oh, right. Okay. So this first one's going to be its own case. Okay. And maybe either the next two or next three will also be different cases, but... Okay, so we're going to go down a psychic rabbit hole. We're going to go down a psychic rabbit hole. So, first of all, do you believe in psychics? Not per se, like the actual person that can like read your mind or, you know, but I do believe that there are like mediums, I guess, that can see spirits or energy or, and my grandmother was actually one of them. And I only believe that because of the story that was told to me. So his grandmother was actually a Santeria priestess, so... She was. She came over from Cuba. The story uh, is that she was looking at a house to purchase when we were living in Miami, and she didn't speak English, and it was her, my father, who was translating, my mother, who was an Amer- who's Ameri- or was American, and the realtor, and basically my grandmother started to describe the people that lived there. It was a little old lady, and she had a rose garden in the front, and she would wear like an apron and stuff. And so she described, you know, she asked my dad to ask the guy if this was the owner, and then the real estate agent said yes, and she said that she was in front of the house working on her roses, and she described what she was wearing and stuff. So I believe in it that way. I don't, you know, I don't believe these psychics on TV that, you know, have these readings or whatever, but I do believe that people do see, you know, see energy or whatever have you ever had a case where there was a psychic that like helped with it never okay well maybe after after these maybe you'll be like maybe i should get some psychic help and i i don't think i'll have to check but i don't think in the history at least the 27 26 plus years i've been on have we ever used a psychic but that's something i'll definitely look into but i don't think normally that that's kind of the way our investigations go so well we'll see how you feel at the end of this case in particular okay So in 2004, 20-year-old Ashley Lynn Howley was living in Columbus, Ohio. She was working as an exotic dancer at a club called Dockside Dolls. She'd been dating 22-year-old Robert McMichael II, and the relationship quickly turned violent. So on June 16th, 2004, while at a pool with a friend, Ashley began receiving threatening messages from Robert. In these messages, Robert was basically threatening to kill her. Wow. After leaving the pool, Ashley returned to her apartment and an argument ensued with her and Michael. The argument turned violent and Ashley filed a police report claiming that Robert had physically assaulted her. At that time, Ashley was offered medical attention, but she declined it. She began packing up her belongings and asked a friend if she could come and stay at her home for a few days in order to avoid Robert. However, Ashley never showed up to her friend's home and the friend became alarmed when she couldn't get into contact with her. Eventually, Ashley's family reported her missing, 
when she didn't show up to work and no one could get into contact with her. Police searched Ashley's apartment, but found nothing out of place, except that her 1995 gold-colored bon- Bonville? Bonneville. Bonneville. Mm-hmm. Pontiac. Yeah, her sedan was missing. So for a month, no one heard anything from Ashley until her car was finally discovered abandoned. Her family obviously suspected her boyfriend. Did they live together? They lived together in the they apartment? Did, or? They did not live together, but okay. I think he stayed, stayed, stayed there. Like, it okay. wasn't his legal residence. Gotcha. But, okay. But obviously with no evidence, there was little the police could do. Of course. So a $100,000 reward was offered for information about Ashley, but still there was no movement in the case. Until 2005, when Christy Robinette, a medium who was living in Detroit, Michigan, was shaken awake in the middle of the night by a blonde spirit. Christy had been able to see and communicate with the dead since she was three years old. But up to this point, Christy had never communicated with a ghost about their own murder. Christy claims usually spirits look human to her, but this one was different in that she was somewhat translucent and appeared to have kind of a grayish tint. Christy claimed the ghost told her she'd been murdered and asked for her help in solving the crime. Christy told Gus Burns with Michigan Live, quote, I was sleeping and got awoken by this girl who said she'd been murdered. She needed help. I was kind of stunned and not understanding what was going on and what I was supposed to do. Christy began scouring the internet for missing persons cases that fit the spirit's physical description. Eventually, Christy came across a picture of Ashley Howley and immediately knew she'd figured out who the spirit was. So the part of this that's interesting to me is why couldn't the spirit just tell her, hey, I'm Ashley? Well, I have several questions like how much, how come so much time passed before she made herself known to this person? Maybe. I mean, who knows how the spirit world works? Maybe she was like, it took her a while to find somebody. Or maybe she was like, eventually this will happen. And then it didn't. And she was like, what the fuck? Was this lady living in her apartment now? No. So so this this happened in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. And this lady was living in Detroit, Michigan. Oh, okay. So, all right. So they were in completely different states. Okay. So anyway, for what, maybe it's against the spirit rules or something. I don't know. But I have the, the, no Ashley, knowledge of it. So Ashley did not tell Christy who she was. So she okay. had to figure it out on her own. She was on her own. She's like, I want you to help me, but you're going to have to earn it. You're going to have to earn it. All right. So Christy earned it. Okay, good. So once Christy determined that the ghost she was seeing was Ashley, she contacted the detectives working with the case. At first, they were skeptical. Of course, as I am right now. <laughs> But when Christy was able to accurately describe Ashley's clothing, they decided to put her into contact with Ashley's family. So ultimately, Ashley's family believed that Christy could actually communicate with their daughter. And the family and Christy began investigating the disappearance themselves, using the clues Ashley's spirit was providing Christy. Okay, so there was multiple contact? Yes. Okay. Ashley explained to Christy that she had indeed been murdered by her boyfriend, Robert, as her family had feared, and she wanted her body found so she could appropriately be laid to rest and her family could find closure. That's that's what Christy is saying that Ashley's spirit is telling her. Okay, so as a skeptic, let me ask this question here. Is this information, like when she described her physical appearance and she, you know, her boyfriend, was this information given to her by the spirit? Or was this information obtained from the family? See, that's always my, you know, where I kind of have to like question, like, you know, you can, you can talk to somebody and be like, well, my daughter's missing. Okay. And your daughter, you have a 50, 50 chance. She's blonde. She's brown hair. She's okay. You know what I'm saying? So, so I don't know for sure, but from what I've read, it seems that Christy was the one giving information. Okay. All right. So in that same Michigan Live article that I talked about earlier, Christy explained, quote, she wanted her killer, who was her boyfriend, ex-boyfriend at the time, to serve time. She was a little bit revengeful. So 
I I like the sound of Ashley. Una- yeah, an angry spirit. I like it. She deserves, she has every right to be fucking angry. Good agreed. for her. 100% agreed. Throughout the next few years, Ashley visited Christy regularly and would provide her with clues through images. Finally, she presented images of, quote, light-colored pines and told Christy this was where her body could be found. Following this clue, Christy flew to Columbus, Ohio and met with a relative of Ashley's to try and locate her body. They began exploring a national park and came across a park ranger. Christy explained to the park ranger what the spot looked like that she had been seeing and asked if he knew of any spots in the park matching that description. He explained that there were no spots in the park matching that description, but he knew where there was another area that matched Christy's description. He led them to the spot, which was on private property, and Christy immediately knew that this was the location where Ashley's body was buried. She contacted the police and they searched the area with cadaver dogs, but the dogs picked up no scent. Despite this, Christy assured police that Ashley's body was buried on that property in that spot. However, without the dogs alerting on the spot, police explained that they didn't have enough evidence to dig on the property because unfortunately the area was private property and they would need to secure a warrant in order to start digging. And you have to have probable cause to obtain a warrant, at least in Florida. Although, if it was my property, I'd be like, go ahead and dig. Yeah, but yeah, but you know what? People don't want their property messed up. They don't want you know law enforcement on there. There's a whole plethora I mean, of things that come up that no. Yes, I would say that for the helpful you know citizen that would wants to help you know law enforcement solve this crime. I'm like, what's the worst that happens? I have to fill in a hole. Like, okay. Oh, well, they they would. I'm sure the the police department would assume that you know responsibility. Yeah. But only to an extent, I'm sure. So So Ashley's mother, Jackie Stanton, died in 2007 without ever knowing for sure what had happened to her daughter. It's horrible. Throughout this time, Ashley's ex-boyfriend, Robert McMichael, got into trouble with the law numerous times. He was arrested for burglary, robbery, drugs, drunk driving, and even attempted murder, among other things. Shocker. By 2007... Three years following Ashley's disappearance, Robert was living with his mother, 49-year-old Barbara Rush, and her boyfriend, 43-year-old Gregory Barty. However, the family was struggling financially, and the couple was having issues affording their mortgage. Greg had issues holding down a job, and Barbara had developed a drinking problem following her divorce from Robert's dad. Okay. They ultimately decided to rent out the home to a family friend, and the friend agreed to move in along with the couple until they moved out of the home. But this meant that Robert had to move out in order to make room for their friend who was going to be renting a room. Okay. On the Friday after Christmas, the couple's roommate grew concerned when he returned to the home after being gone for several days for the holidays, and he realized he hadn't seen or heard from the couple at all during that time. He also noticed that his vehicle was missing from the home. So I guess he had gone out of town and left his vehicle there, and when he came back, he's like, well, where's my, where's my car? He went to their room and discovered the door was locked, but he decided to force the door open and was horrified to find the couple dead inside the room. Oh, jeez, okay. He immediately called police, and when detectives arrived, they determined that Barbara had been strangled to death, and her boyfriend Greg had been violently beaten to death. Their bodies had been locked in the bedroom for two days before they were discovered. Police began searching for the roommate's missing vehicle, and began interviewing neighbors and friends of the couple. Detectives grew suspicious when Barbara's son, Robert, refused to return their phone calls. So they kept calling and leaving messages like, hey, we'd like to speak to you regarding your mom's death, Mm -hmm. and no callback. So that that would be suspicious to you. Big flag. Well, I can understand why, because you think you would care about your mother being murdered, and you'd want to help in any way you could if you didn't do anything. Of course, right. Several days after the bodies were discovered... 
Robert spoke to the media and explained that he had last seen his mother and her boyfriend on Christmas Day, when he had stopped by their home to give them a card and wish them a Merry Christmas. He explained that his mom had a drinking problem and had seemed depressed to him that day. Robert also admitted that he had been contacted by the police, but he had not returned their calls. Robert's father, who was also named Robert McMichael, so there's senior. two Roberts, right? right. Okay. He's the senior. Okay. He told the media that he wanted his son to return the detective's phone calls, but explained that his son was weary of police due to his vast criminal history. So, I mean, to a degree, I get that. If, you, if you've always had bad interactions with the police, I can see where you'd be, like, nervous. Okay. Detective. But, but his mom was killed. Correct. So there you go. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. So detectives became even more suspicious of Robert when they discovered that a year prior to the murders, in December of 2006, Barbara had called police after Michael, the son, Mm -hmm. had violently grabbed her and had refused to let her exit the home, essentially holding her hostage. Police had arrested Robert for that incident, but those charges were later dropped. Yeah, because the mom probably didn't follow through with it. Mm -hmm. Right, which is sad because had she, none of this probably would have happened. Well, yeah. I mean, you don't know for sure, but yeah. Eventually, police located the roommate's missing vehicle, which had been abandoned. Okay. Sound familiar? Just Mm -hmm. like Ashley's vehicle. Sounds like a pattern. So during this time, Robert had a warrant out for his arrest because he'd failed to appear in court on a drunk driving charge. Okay. Homicide detectives used this to their advantage and arrested Michael. While he was in custody, they questioned him about the murders and eventually Robert confessed, telling police he had strangled his mother and then beat her boyfriend to death with a shovel. However, he refused to tell detectives why he had done it. So to this day, we have no idea. Like oh, what? So he never, he never... I mean, we can guess. Right. Because personally, I think it's probably because he was pissed off that they made him move out. Yeah. But, or and they at probably least... got into an argument or something and, you know, kicking him out or whatever and... Right. But he has never said openly like why. He also confessed that two days after the murder, he'd returned to the home in Greg's stolen truck. So after he committed the murder, he fled in the mother's boyfriend's truck. So two days later, he returns with the truck and then he stole the couple's TV and DVD player and then used their vacuum to clean up the crime scene. However, he had done a very poor job of cleaning and had left his blood everywhere at the scene. He then pawned the TV and DVD player, only making $130. That's what their life was worth. To him. To him, yeah. Which is horrible. Honestly, I think he, I don't think he planned their murders. I think it was, they got an argument and then, because if he had planned it, he would have stolen it the day of. Right. Yeah, moment of rage or whatever. I think, but it still shows what a shitty person he is that two days later, instead of feeling remorse or bad that your mom is dead because of you. Let me steal some shit. Yeah. You know what? Now that they're dead, I've had two days to think about it. Let me go back to their house and steal some shit so I can sell it. So after his arrest, a friend of Robert's, Garrett Kalish, came forward to police and admitted that Robert had confessed to him that he'd killed Ashley after she'd reported him to the police for that domestic violence incident in 2004. He'd then asked Garrett to help, to help him hide her body, and Garrett had agreed. Using her vehicle, the pair had driven Ashley's body to a piece of property near Robert's dad's home where he had been living on and off at the time. Garrett told police that they'd dug a hole, placed Ashley's body inside, and then poured quick-setting concrete over it before covering her remains in the cement with dirt on top. Garrett agreed to lead detectives to Ashley's body. He led them to the exact spot where Christy had assured them that Ashley's body would be. The dogs had not been able to smell the decomposition years earlier because the cement had blocked the scent. Because Ashley's remains were so decomposed, a medical examiner was unable to determine a cause of death. 
A few weeks after leading police to Ashley's body, Garrett, the friend who had come forward to the police, died of a drug overdose. Wow. Okay. Karma. Mm-hmm. With all of the evidence, police were finally able to charge Robert with Ashley's murder, as well as the murders of his mother, Barbara Rush, and her boyfriend, Greg Barty. They also charged him with aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary, and abuse of a corpse. Okay. Given all of the strong evidence against him, his defense attorneys advised Robert to take a plea deal in which he'd plead guilty to all three murders in exchange for the state dropping the death penalty. Robert agreed, like he had a choice. Right, yeah. At his sentencing hearing, Judge Julie M. Lynch said, quote, You're showing a complete lack of remorse, and I believe her cousin when she says you thought you got away with this for four years. The cycle of violence stops today, and it's going to stop in courtroom 7C. She also stated, quote, The fact that you did not make a jury sit through that testimony is the only humane thing you have done. Only an animal behaves in that manner. She then sentenced Robert to 15 years to life for Ashley's murder and two terms of life imprisonment for the murder of Barbara and Greg. Ashley's father had been too aggrieved to attend the trial, but Ashley's cousin, Carrie Combs, stated in court, quote, Robert taunted him for years, all while breaking the law time and time again. She also stated, quote, Ashley lived every day in fear. We truly hope it is a long, long life in prison for him. Following the hearing, Ashley's sister, Krista, held up a picture of her sister's burial crypt for reporters and stated, quote, we had Ashley cremated because we didn't want her buried again. We put mom there too. They're buried together, together at last. Of the sentence, Robert's father told reporters that he was hopeful that prison would change his son for the better. He said, quote, he's broken my heart lots of times, but this one put me over the edge. Which you never really think about how the family of the people who commit the crimes are also affected. Because I'm sure if like for him, like as his dad, he's heartbroken that his son's such a monster. Well, the dad, I think, was like a pretty decent person because in some of the stuff I read. Sounds like the mom was the one with the problem. She had a drinking Drinking issue, issue. but supposedly, you know, was a nice person. But she like, you know, had a drinking problem. Gotcha. But I don't know if the drinking problem is what led to them getting divorced or not. But even after their divorce, they remained friends. And he even helped her financially at times. Like, which, you know, most ex-husbands don't do that. So he had to be a decent guy to some degree. Okay. Then that is heartbreaking when, you know, your child kind of runs amok, I guess. And, you know, there's nothing you can do, especially once they're an adult and they choose that lifestyle. It's very difficult to come back from. So while researching, I found that Robert McMichael actually has a profile on a prison pen pal website. Really? So he has on the website, he has a bunch of really cringy pictures of himself where he's shirtless and posing for the camera and like... Wait, uh, he's taking these pictures in prison? Yeah. They're like, like on the website. Like how is that... Po- uh, like they have access to cameras? Like, I guess they do because they're not even in like a cell. They're in a common area. So maybe or, maybe when he has visitation and stuff, people are allowed to take pictures. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I don't think you're allowed to bring anything into the facility. Like you have to leave your keys and phone and... Well, there are shirtless pictures of him. And and you can clearly tell he's in prison. Right, right. Okay. And I guess he works with dogs in prison because there's pictures of him with dogs. But this is is what his bio on the website states. Oh, boy. (laughs) So just so you know, it's it's really bad grammar, but I'm reading it exactly. So if if it doesn't make sense grammatically, it's not my fault. (laughs) So what you're saying, he's not the best educated person out there. Reading this, I think he's not the sharpest crayon in the box. Okay. All right. So it says, quote, my name is Bobby and here is a little about me. I'm 6'1", 200 pounds. I enjoy working out, running, playing sports, watching TV, 
shoes, reading, and talking politics. So basically all the things that you're allowed to do in prison, because what else could you like to that's, do, really? Yeah, basically about it. Like, that's all you can do. The list is short. Yeah, like, <laughs> I like to play cards. Yeah, um, I like to... Talk to my cellmate. <laughs> I like to have long, deep thought conversations with myself in my cell. So then he says, I'm doing a life sentence, but I've learned the value of life. I appreciate every day and try to make the most of it. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, graduated from Westerville South in 2000. I had plans on joining the army, but chose to get into trouble, which led me down the path to prison. I try to help people and give them good advice now in hopes that maybe I could change at least one person's life for the better. I'm looking for a good friend, companion, and anything more if it leads to that. He's trying to get a conjugal visit. He's trying to get some something, something from someone. He says, I'm a good listener because you can't do anything else in prison but listen. And I never judge anybody. I bet that part is true. How could you possibly? Yeah, well. I feel you should get to know a person for who they are rather than what they are or what they have done. I feel like I'm a changed person and have a lot to offer someone. Hopefully meet someone who can help me be a better person too. Yeah, pass. That's why I purposely did not include what the pen pal website Good. is because nobody should be writing to this fool. Yeah, no, he, no, sorry. Although I will post one of his cringy pictures on the Instagram because you guys have to see it. Okay. His shirtless prison pics. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. Because it's worth the little chuckle. Is he like all tatted up? No, but he's like jacked because obviously in prison, all you can do is Just like work, work out. out. Yeah, all right. <laughs> So following this case, Christy has since been asked to assist on a number of other criminal cases. Some she can speak on and some she can't because it's dependent on the department. And Okay, um, so that's what I was going to ask. With the same department or with different? Like, different multiple? departments. Okay. So, so, And from what she says, she has a whole website. You can look her up. Right, right. But she, some cases she's allowed to talk on and some, I guess, she had to kind of sign in like a confidentiality thing because course, right. the police don't want people, the public to know that they're working with psychics. Right. Well, they probably don't want information released either. Well, no, even solved cases. Oh. Like, I think because they want to keep it under wraps because it kind of like looks sketchy, I guess. Yeah, because I would would surmise that any information she provides or whatever is not, you can't use it as evidence or, you know, has no evidentiary value, but it gives them, I guess, leads or places to look or things of that nature. So then they have to develop the evidence from, from that point forward. So that makes sense to me that they kind of want to, you know, because you have to have evidence to, you know, to develop your probable cause to make your arrest and all that stuff. So, and just somebody saying, oh, I woke up and the body's here. If the body's there, well, then you can say, well, she yes, she had a premonition or whatever, or maybe she's involved in the murder, or well, so, so you want to try your, to keep it legit. But you have to admit, like that's pretty crazy that she found where that body. She's not even from Ohio. Like, there's no way she could possibly right. know that. Again, I believe that people have visions, or people, you know, see like you know, like my grandmother, like people see energy or spirits or whatever you want to call them, or have visions or premonitions, whatever. I believe in that. I just. Until I witness it myself or experience it myself, it's I don't put 100% into it just because. Well, let me ask you this. Just I know you've said it, it hasn't really happened, at least in the years that you've been working there, which is quite a, not, lo- a not, long time. Not to say that it hasn't. I just I just don't have knowledge of them using. But let me ask, what would be the protocol? Like, let's just say you had a case and the same thing happened. Somebody called up and was like, listen, I know this sounds crazy, but I talked to the murder victim and I know where they're buried. Like, do, I, I mean, I know you probably have to follow through to some degree. Of course, yeah. 
Yeah, there, I mean, definitely they would probably be interviewed to obtain the information, but they would probably be just like they did in this case, steered towards the family and have that discussion with the family. And then if the family can cooperate some of the information that she's providing, then once that's relayed from the family to the detective, then they kind of, you know, you have, a, you have a person who's claiming to be a psychic or something, just come forward. You're not just at face value. You're going to be like, okay, you're part of the case. Let's go. Right. So, but it coming from the family... Naturally, if the family has a request or says, you know, this came up, so maybe it's something worth looking at, then you look at it like you, you know, you investigate it. So I think that's, as like I said, as they did in this case, I think that's the proper way to do it. But I don't know. There might be set procedures on if something like that, you know, within my department. I don't know. I've never, like I said, I've never encountered. I'm definitely going to look into it when I well, go you know, back. I'm a little bit surprised that you haven't seen this more often in Miami. And the only reason I say that is because Miami, the, the Santeria religion, the culture, yeah, yeah. The culture is very much you know into that stuff so it kind of surprises me you would think in an area where that's more prevalent that you would see it more often yeah but like i'm, I'm not an expert on santeria at all not you know i don't follow it never have or whatever but it's more i don't practice santeria there you go i ain't got no crystal ball it is a religion naturally right. but it's not like all psychics and mediums are santeros right 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 it just happens that some are like my grandmother she was very high up uh, i don't know what her official title was she was like a high priestess or, you know, like I said, I, I didn't research it or, and she died many, many, many years ago. I know. Unfortunately, I never got to meet her. And yeah. I was just saying, I was like, man, because I believe this shit and yeah. I feel like we would have been besties. Oh, yeah. Like she was very family oriented and stuff like that. But she was very high in that religion. So many, many people knew her and, you know, respected her. And But there are, as I'm sure there are in other religions, you know, people that have visions or whatever. So, but I don't think they're really go out of their way to help law enforcement either. Like, I don't think. Well, and even you know, this medium, this was her first case where she felt like she was well, according to her she felt like she had to get involved but prior to that she had never involved herself in criminal you know I'm curious did she ever have something like that prior to this one no. or this was kind of the first she, all, she says she could and I'll, I'll link her website in the show notes because she's yeah. kind of an interesting person and you could go on and she has a whole bio on there and stuff right, right. but she basically said that she grew up since she was three years old was when she first saw her first spirit and I guess it was kind of her family kind of tried to inhibit her from that because they were very Christian and thought it was evil to you know see that of course right so she said she struggled a lot with that growing up because she would have to pretend she wasn't seeing any of this stuff when she was but she said prior to that she'd always seen spirits since she was three but no spirit had ever come to her like a murdered spirit and been like help me like communicated with her that specifically as to like what happened right and then after that she's been asked to come into things and help and there are other cases you can look into her if you're really inter interested in her because honestly we could do probably like four episodes just on her in cases that she solved because right. there's more than just this was just the first one which is why i chose right. it okay but there are other ones that she's done equally crazy shit like this and help solve the case right so she clearly has some sort of gift definitely have heard of cases and stuff throughout me being a police officer and even before then where psychics did help in some form i don't think they're ever contacted by the police unless like maybe in this case since she's proven herself on several cases well i think that's why from what I understood, for like from her website and just like articles that have been written about her and stuff, right. which I'll of course link all that in our show notes. If you're more interested, you can go and log in and you know click on the links. From what I understand, never really seeks out like, oh, I'm insert myself in this investigation. Right. It's either people ask her to help, you know, police or families. But yeah, there's been other cases that she's helped solve from just her psychic talking right. to the supposed ghosts. I will. I will say like. 
the departments that are like the investigators, like the investigators that totally like don't believe her, discredit her or whatever, shut her down. To me that I wouldn't do that. I, I try to have an open mind, especially in investigations, because you want to you want to solve the crime. So as far fetched as it might be or crazy or, or whatever, if, if this person provides you, no matter how they got that information, provide you a link or a lead that takes you to helping solve that case. I would think that every investigator would be interested in doing that. So well, unfortunately, that's not always the case no i know but everybody it does should be. it should be you know but everybody you know does this job for you know different reasons or, or whatever but if i had a case and you know a psychic came to me and said i had this at first i'd be like come on you're like where's the you're, cameras you're pulling my leg yeah where's the cameras you know but but i definitely wouldn't you know like exclude it and you know and if, if the person had credible information or it sounded believable you have to sit down and talk with them and just see i mean it might turn out to be nothing but well and here's the thing even if let's be real when it comes to psychics i'm sure 99 percent of the time it's just like crackpot crazies correct Yes. But even then, it's still your responsibility as an investigator to talk to everybody. And yeah, they may be crazy and okay, you wasted five minutes, but you'll never know if you don't do it. Right. Like, you know, through Crime Stoppers, we get we get we get anonymous tips all the time. And the majority of them, I don't want to say the majority of them, but a lot of them are unfounded or no good. We still have to look at them. So, you know, whether we're spending our time through Crime Stoppers or through this person who says, hey, I have this information. This is something you should look at. Definitely something that should be looked at. And then once you can either like I said in previous podcasts you either it either helps you can either prove it or you disprove it and it becomes evidence or you know you check it off and you don't have to worry about it again so that if it does come up again you're like i already investigated this or looked at it it's not credible right um you know and you move forward with it but as somebody who wants to solve the crime and seek justice for the victims and stuff so do you think what's your vote on this case it's credible Absolutely. She clearly like knew where yeah, the body yeah. was. So you think she probably was the real deal? I, yeah, I think she definitely had information. Whether it was you know she was woken up, a vision, however, a dream, whatever it was. The whole talking to her, you know, over and over again. Again, I don't know, but the fact that she lived in a whole nother state. state, went to the park first and happened to ask that ranger who took him to another and said, "Yes, yeah, she's here." And then just the way everything happened, of course, you have you you can't say that she didn't know. Yeah, that's crazy. She was there. What, like, was like what? She just guessed it, it and was what like happened to me? Right? Two years, right? It was two years from when she went to the spot to when the friend came forward and said that. Right. The, the only other thing I would question or look into is I know that we like recently in, in Surfside down in South Florida, we had the building collapse. Where yeah, a lot I of remember people, that. You know, they used cadaver dogs to help locate some of the unfortunate victims. So in that case, there was a lot of rubble and, and they were able to locate people that were deceased in that rubble. So I'd be interested to know why, I guess, the combination of maybe how deep the body was covered with concrete and then dirt. I think it was a few probably. Or um, just the amount of time that it passed. I think it was both. I think the fact that obviously the concrete over a body as a opposed to just burying it in dirt, obviously that's going to inhibit some of the scent. And then on top of that, I think even by the time that they'd used the cadaver dogs, it had been years. So I think she was already even decomposed she probably, yeah. then. So, she was probably and then down on, the bone already. Or... And then on top of that, there was the concrete. concrete so the dogs just never... Or who knows? Dogs sometimes have just have an off day and they yeah. don't do what they're supposed to do. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Well... Wait till next week's case, because if you thought this one was wild, the next one's even wilder. Oh, boy. So if you guys will follow us on our social media, we're at Can't Make This Shit Up Pod on Instagram. We're Can't Make This Shit Up, a true crime podcast on Facebook. And we're also at CMTSU Pod on Twitter. Also, if you have any questions or case suggestions, you can always submit them through our link in our Instagram bio. Or you can always email us about anything you want at can't make this shit up pod at gmail.com. Please, please, please 
Give us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. If you like the podcast. If you don't, you know, maybe don't. (laughs) I welcome all reviews, good or bad. Something can be learned from all of them, I believe. I don't welcome them as much. Just be nice. I'm just kidding. Keep it moving, you know what I mean? Can't make everybody happy. Can't please everyone. (laughs) But it really does help us to get new listeners and to have people find us. So you'll just take the five seconds to do that. I know some platforms don't have reviews, but a lot of them do now. So that would be very, very helpful. And we're very, very grateful for the time you do invest in listening to us and stuff. So thank you very much. Thank you so much to all of you who have already given us positive reviews. It really makes our day. I like will read them to my dad every time I get one. I'm like, look. Yep. So we can't tell you how much we appreciate you guys. We love hearing from all of you. So please never hesitate to reach out to us. It really makes our day when you do. So thank you all so much for listening. And until next week, bye. Bye. Bye.